Thanks to the Chaos Chaos Theory crew, Rodney and Wags. It's Jeff Jordan. It's only an hour. Jordan, you don't have you no plans tonight? Mm, nah, none, none tonight. Actually, I, I, my plan tonight is to uh, finish my backdrop here. I got the shelf built yesterday, so nice. Still, uh, still in the process of getting fully moved in. So, is that a, is that a Walmart special right there? Nah, Amazon, Amazon actually. Um, it's one or the and, other usually. Yeah, it came in a, a tiny ass box because like every I had to put it together. And I knew I had to put it together, but I'm like, how does all this, like, I think they sent me the wrong shelf, but obviously as I built it. Man, um, you should have just hit up an Ikea because it's, you know, Ikea makes it really easy. It's like furniture building for dummies. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. The thing is, like, where I'm sitting right now is supposed to be for, a, I don't know, like a dinner table or something. So there's kind of this weird indention that's like back here. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's this gap right here. I got because it goes in. So I had to find something very specific to fit in there if it was going to work. I got so you. I, I had yeah. to take it to Amazon, but nice. Uh, one thing we didn't get to, we haven't talked about because I know we both had stuff going on. Is uh, Monday the Stampede was a two parter because it's our behind the scenes of the, how the 2024 class came together. And I know we put the 2024 class to bed last week, literally before last week. You did anyway. Um just because texas didn't have anybody on the board but i want to i don't want to give away everything that's in the stampede it's worth reading so you can go to the site and check it out it's a two-parter uh jordan and hank put in a lot of good work on that thing and it's it was interesting i wanted to get your take on it because you came in halfway through the cycle so this was half kind of half hudson and mike and then the other half was you and hank so when you sat down and started working on this I haven't even asked you about this, so I'll ask you now. How difficult was it to try to piece everything together, especially stuff that might have happened before you and Hank got on the beat? Yeah, um, you know, most of the the good thing, even though we did start with only six months left in the cycle, um, (laughs) the good thing is in recruiting, you know, the home stretch is the most important part, official visits, you know, signing to all that. So we obviously got all that and, you know, got the most important part of the cycle. So, you know, there, there wasn't a ton um, to kind of catch up on. Uh, also, I kind of had an advantage over Hank for, you know, the guys that I guess came before us mm-hmm. just because I, you know, I'd, I'd been a subscriber to Horns 24-7 for a couple of years, um, you know, before I even started working at 24-7. So, you know, I'd kind of seen, um, you know, the early stages of the cycle, what it looked like just through what Mike and Hudson, even Mike and my boy Nick Harris had reported. Mm-hmm. Um, but – you know, yeah, it, it, the problem isn't um, not having the information. The problem is relaying the information <laughs> and the time it takes to relay the information. Yeah. And all, also, like, you know, like we know the numbers of some of these guys for NIL. We don't have everyone's number. You know, I'm never going to report someone's number. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, it's still a, it's a line I have to balance, right? Yeah, so sure, that man. also takes time with, you know, wording different things. You want to be careful. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, for me, every year, um, that was my favorite story that came out on the whole site uh, as a subscriber. Mm-hmm. Um, but now as the person writing it, can't, can't say it's the, it's the favorite. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, did, I did have some fun writing it. Just, you know, it, it, took, a, it took a long ass time. So. The labor of love. For sure. Yeah. 
So I don't want to get too far down the road of getting into every recruitment because we're not going to do that. But I want to look at this two ways because no staff bats a thousand in any recruiting cycle. Even the best staffs have hits and they got misses. Give me a recruitment. Start with the bad first. Give me a recruitment that you feel like, you know what, Texas probably should have had that guy, but for whatever reason, it didn't work out. Uh, or maybe man, there's that, that, a couple that stand out. Yeah. So there, there's a few different ways I could go with this. Um, but they, I'll, I'll go with Terry Bussey. Um, I don't think he really leaned towards a certain school growing up. Like, I don't think he had a dream school really growing up. Um, and he's always said, you know, because of his situation, he wasn't able to watch a ton of football growing up either. Yeah. Um, but for him, uh, Texas was always an offer he wanted. Um, and it was one he wanted really, really bad. And the summer after his sophomore season, he was just starting to pick up offers. But it was like the the UTSAs, the Texas Techs, the, the Baylors, the SFA, like regional smaller mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and then A&M invited him to a camp like the first week of that summer. Uh, he killed it and they offered him. And that was like his first big, big time offer. Texas saw that, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but a lot of times when A&M has a kid come camp that Texas never heard about and they offer him, half the Texas staff will follow him and send him an invite. And like every school does that, like yeah. every school does that. Mm -hmm. So that's what I assume happened because the next week Terry was at Texas for a camp. Um, I do know he had been on their radar a little before that, but they obviously hadn't offered him. Um, and weren't really making an effort to recruit him. Um, but they did invite him to campus of the camp, and it was the elite camp. He came down. Uh, they don't let media into those things. So, you know, we can't be the judge of how he actually did. But, you know, talking to him, it felt like it, he felt like he played well and performed well. And, you know, talking to other kids that day, it, it similar vibe that, that he was one of the top guys of the camp that day. Yeah. And, um, you know, that day about – about four to five, something like that. A handful of other DBs in the 2024 class got offered. Terry didn't. Um, mm -hmm. And Terry was one of only like three kids that came to campus that day as a defensive back without an offer and still left without an offer. And, um, you know, from that point on, he kind of, he was kind of jaded at the Texas staff um, yeah. because, you know, he had picked up AM. Uh, he also got Oregon around that time and a bunch of other big offers were starting to come in as, he was starting to hit more camps, but Texas was like the only school that wasn't offering him. So, um, you know, usually with, with with kids, it's different in each recruitment in terms of um, how they feel about late offers. But whenever it's a kid that was getting every school in America in the main program, the flagship program in state won't offer you, you know, that that hurts. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. that, that hurts a lot. And it hurts Texas in that recruitment for whenever they finally decided, Hey, we need to use our brain here and offer this kid. Yeah. Um, because by that time, you know, whenever they went out to offer him, they had realized they had messed up. Uh, Texas did. And to, to kind of, I, I guess, rehash feelings or whatever. Um, the way they offered him, they decided to fly Steve Sarkeesian. I don't remember the other coaches that came with him just because mm -hmm. Terry was getting recruited originally. When he camped, this is also left this out. This is important. Originally, when he camped, they're like, "Hey, we know you're awesome both sides of the ball, but we're only going to recruit you at DB." And they made it very clear with him they only wanted him at DB then. 
that also kind of left a sour taste in his mouth because he was yeah. like, you're not even going to offer me and every school just wants me at anything and you're telling me DB only. Um, so around, I think it was January, right after his junior season ended, Sark flew out to Timson on a helicopter and, um, you know, Timson has never had the, the University of Texas head coach stop by. They haven't had yeah. very many coaches stop by. So uh, it was really, it was really cool. Um, and Hudson, Hudson Standish, uh, Hudson Standish was who found Terry and had a really close relationship with him. So most of the info I have on Terry that I'm talking about came from Hudson. Mm -hmm. Hudson told me when he talked to Terry that day, um, that Terry told him Timson, the high school stopped like the day of class so they could see <laughs> Steve Sarkeesian walk from like a field, walk out of a helicopter into the school. And I was like, Oh, you know, that that's, you know, pretty cool. I, I like hearing small town East Texas stuff. Yeah. And Hudson was like, yeah, Terry said that was the only coach the school did that for. And all of them came in a helicopter. Timson's hard to get to. You got to, unless you're going to be on the road driving for some hours, you're going to fly there in a helicopter. Yeah. Terry said the only coach that the school stopped classes for so everyone could watch was Sarkeesian. It's crazy. Sark, Sark offered him um, and the, the whatever other Texas coaches were there, too. They offered him and they told him, like, hey, we really messed up. We apologize. Um, we, we're going to recruit you as the top priority from now on. And we want you at either side of the ball. Um, you know, at that point, it seemed like his feelings had kind of changed a little bit. But there was still a lot of resentment. Like, why were yeah. you all so late? And why did you wait till January when you could have came and flown out in September or whenever? You know, so. Yeah. Um, there was some resentment, and as time went on, Texas wasn't truthful with them saying we're going to treat you like a top priority because they just didn't. Um, I don't know if may, he might have been higher as a priority on the board, but in terms of what Terry felt as getting recruited, he felt yeah. as if Alabama, Oklahoma, LSU, and A&M were going all in on him as if he was the top guy on the board, mm -hmm. whereas Texas was kind of just recruiting him at Texas's own pace, right? So as we got into the summer and it was official visit season, like the the chance of Terry uh, ending up at Texas was like the chance of me getting struck by lightning. Um, even after his official visit, you know, I think the OV went well for Texas. But again, like they they were still going to be behind A&M and Oklahoma. And one thing that wasn't reported super well, um, when he picked A&M, like he was this close to o Oklahoma originally. Like OU finished second by like an inch. Um, and every school in the country kept recruiting him through. Texas kind of stopped talking to him right after he committed because they assumed he was done. Yeah. Um, and that was that. And then as uh, – and it's funny. Before he committed, I wrote about it in the Stampede. Mike Roach had went out to go see Terry Bussey um, in what would have been – would have been week three of the Texas high school season if that was week two of the college season. It was the Friday before – uh, Texas was supposed to play Alabama the next day. So it would have been like September 10th or 9th or whatever. September 9th, yep. Yeah. And Terry told Mike, I'm officially visiting Alabama this weekend. I'm going to be at Bryant-Denny during this game. If Texas wins this game, I'm going to go to – I'm going to be in Austin next weekend for the Texas-Wyoming game. And Mike was like, okay, cool. The next week, you know, when we're reaching out to kids, putting together our visitor lists – uh, Mike hits up Terry and Terry's like, no, I'm actually going to A&M because no one from Texas sent me an invite. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. And this part wasn't included in the stampede. 
Um, Ooh, but in talking I'll get to Mike, exclusive here on Texas Sports <laughs> Yeah, and Mike, um, in talking to Mike, he had told me he he spoke with some sources at Texas, and it was like y'all. I can't believe this. And the, the sources at Texas were kind of upset that he was upset, but also said, like, we felt like we didn't have a shot and didn't want to waste our time, which was probably true. But okay. when you have the number one athlete in the nation wanting to visit your campus, you don't tell him no. You, yeah. you just don't. The and only, I understand yeah. they're not wanting to waste your time, but, like, it's not a waste of time if – I mean, I, I, I don't know. Um it's it was obviously a tricky situation, but yeah, I mean, I feel like it's pretty. I feel like it's pretty common sense that you you send an invite to Terry Bussey. Yeah, it's not. And look, this isn't a bag on the staff because trust me, there, yeah, there's a lot not, more. There's a lot more positives to talk about Sark and the staff than there are negatives tenfold. Uh, but I mean, every cycle there's kind of one of these where you know if 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 the staff had to have a uh, if they had to have a mulligan, they'd probably want to use it. On Terry Bussey, and there, again, there's one in every usually one or two in every cycle. the The difference there is, and it's a lesson learned. I think you you deny a kid of an opportunity to visit if you feel like legitimately like he's only going to be there to recruit for, like if he's committed somewhere else and he wants to visit. If you feel like he's only going to be there to try to recruit kids to the school he's committed to, then that's when you you just you just put the kibosh on that. Uh, we, I've I've heard of kids going to Texas and trying to do that, and then being asked to leave. I've also heard of guys, including somebody that may be on the Texas roster right now, that went on a visit to another school while they were committed to Texas, and might have been asked to leave by that staff because he was trying to commit for Texas, recruit for Texas. I mean, but it happens. You know, there's like I said, there's always one or two, and it's probably. I bet you if you asked Sark, hey, do you, do you wish you had a mulligan on the Terry Bussey thing? He'd probably be like, yeah, we would have completely done that different, handled that different. Because uh, now, yeah. now with going to the SEC and having AM on your schedule, now you've got to play against that guy, whether he's on offense, defense, or whatever. Yeah, and um, I have the number for what Terry Bussey is getting from AM. I know what it is. And it's a pretty ridiculous number, I can't lie. Is he a five-star? Yes. Is he the number one athlete? Yes. Is he deserving of every penny? Hell yes. Um, but with what AM is giving him, it was like you there's no way he could have gone anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and that that money is just so rare that you see that money on a high school yeah. recruit, and it's not going to someone who just came out of the portal. And you know, I think that, that shows how much AM and I, and I talked to someone at AM as soon as I got the number, I called um someone who's in and around AM and was like, What the hell? <laughs> like, did y'all because when Elko came in, you, you gotta realize when Elko came in and that staff came in, they looked around in 2024 and were like, We're fucked, and kind of didn't try. I'm serious. They they only yeah, really they, they, they had like 15 guys from the portal. Yeah, yeah, but like they only like they they only they only had like two weeks to recruit these kids before signing day, but they only made an effort with like three of them. And now keep in mind, one of them is Terry Bussey. But I asked the guy, like, did y'all just get in like at the end of November and just be like, you know, f this, we're gonna put our whole class budget on Terry? <laughs> and the guy was like, that is kind of exactly what we <laughs> talked about in the meeting. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so that's great. They, uh, they didn't. They were gonna make it where they weren't gonna lose. They weren't gonna lose Terry. Um, <laughs> no if ands or buts, yeah. and they didn't. So shout yeah. out to the Aggies for keeping the the number one athlete in the nation committed and signed and and in the class because. He is a special player, and and he's an even more special person. And again, I know he's going to I guess y'all's bad guys, but um, you know if you can ever look up uh, Terry Bussey's story and get to know more about him, um, you should because he's a phenomenal kid with a phenomenal story and a really inspiring kid as well. So yeah, you know yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting, man. I, I've had kids over the years that I've known that have gone to you know, they've gone to A and M or Oklahoma or Nebraska or wherever. And, you know, knowing that they're going to play Texas and yeah, does it, are, are my Saturdays less of a headache when Texas wins? Hell yeah, they are. Cause you, you know, if you're frustrated as a fan, try moderating a message board after a Texas loss. That's fun. But, yeah. you know, there, but you, you know, Jordan, there are kids that you, you pull for, man. And I've, like I said, I've had kids that I've covered that have gone to Oklahoma or like wherever. And then I'm like, you know what? Uh, uh, except for one Saturday in the fall, I'll I'll root for that kid to, to have success. And then the best case scenario is, you know, that kid has a really good game for OU, but Texas still wins the game. It's like the best of both worlds. So uh, there's, you know, you'll you'll have if you're in this business long enough, you'll have kids that you're a fan of or you root for. Like honestly, I grew up, uh, you know, I had to have two teams because Texas was not very good when I was a kid, and uh, it was kind of the David McWilliams to John Makovic transition. And I had to have a team to root for that was good, right? So I picked Michigan because when you're in the first grade, you start watching college football, Michigan had the coolest helmets. So I picked Michigan. Hell yeah. Well, so I, I followed Michigan football. So I really did not care much at all for Ohio State football pretty much my whole life. But when J.K. Dobbins ended up at Ohio State, I'm checking in on the Buckeyes every Saturday, and if he goes for 100 yards and three touchdowns or whatever, then I'm I'm doing the fist pump because I'm pumped for J.K. Dobbins. So uh, that that's how special of a guy J.K. Dobbins is. J.K. Dobbins made me not only tolerate but have a vested interest in Ohio State football for three years. You wanna? I remember. So th- this is funny. So, um, growing up, uh, had season tickets. Um, most of, you know, I guess my younger years. Um, and we sat in section two, um, basically right on the goal line. Bevo's down there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd remembered, I, I forgot who they were playing. I think it might have been Oklahoma State. But I remembered my dad was a, a long time Orange Blood subscriber until, uh, <laughs> until his son switched him over to the good guys. But, um, remember him telling me I, I i'm however old he's like do you know who that is down there and i was like no and he's like that's jk dobbins who was visiting texas yeah and um i was like who the f-? <laughs> he's like that's like the number one player in the country or number one running back in the country or whatever and i was like yo you know just, are we are we getting him or whatever my dad's like i don't know but i remember that um and i remember i've read some stuff that Texas might have messed up that recruitment. It was obviously a different staff. Do you remember Ooh. what happened there? And also, um, don't have those tickets anymore. We got rid of them once uh, Charlie Strong came in and Steve Patterson came in and like quadrupled prices of tickets when Texas couldn't even win like six games. So my dad was like, screw this. And 
that was got the- rid of them. But him and uh, my stepmom renewed them uh, this past season. So good. That was only supposed to be year. a blended six percent increase, too. I believe that's what Steve Patterson said. Um, no, man, Texas just uh, J K was pretty honest with me about Texas and. It, him and Anthony Johnson, who was the running backs coach, just didn't mesh very well at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was times where JK would try to visit and couldn't get in touch with anybody. Then Texas would be like, hey, why didn't you visit? Well, no. Well, I was confused on when I was supposed to be up there. And then there was one time where legitimately, like, I think he couldn't find a ride or something happened that he couldn't make a, an unofficial. And then the staff was upset that he didn't make it in. He's like, I got a legit excuse. About it. So it was just it was just stops and starts. Uh, you know, A&M did a better job of recruiting him, honestly. But I felt like push come to shove between the two. Uh, I, I think J.K., if Texas had done it right, J.K. Dobbins probably would have been a Longhorn. I think so. Yeah. If, if they, they, I mean, they, they screwed that up and botched it in every possible way. I mean, they should have treated him like a priority. And it's not, it's kind of like the Terry Bussey thing. It just kind of, they just treated him just kind of like another guy. Yeah, and um, that that's a good segue into, uh, I guess, Micah Hudson's recruitment. Um, yeah, don't a lot don't of wanna, people, again. I, yeah, I'll, I'll say this on the Micah Hudson thing: don't give away too much because that that's probably the meatiest thing that's in the stampede in terms of yeah. the 2024 guys. And I, I don't want to detract from anybody that wants to go read that. Get over to Horse Twenty Four Seven and read that. But if you but you know, I'm gonna I don't want to put words in your mouth, but going off of the Micah Hudson thing, it's almost like it, it just felt like to me, and I'm granted, I'm getting my information from you throughout the yeah, yeah. it felt like one of those recruitments where like it kind of reminded me of like Julius Randle in basketball, where except that that was Julius Randle with Texas and it was Michael with Texas Tech. It's almost like he was looking for somebody like, give me a reason why I shouldn't go to Tech. One of you schools out there, give me a reason why I shouldn't go to Tech and I'll go somewhere else. And it's like through whatever happens, happens, nobody ever really gave him a good enough reason not to pick Tech. Yep. And, and look, um, from start to finish, wherever Joey McGuire was, that's who the leader was. So yeah. it was Baylor and Tech, and it was only those two schools. Um, but with with Texas and in talk, and the the thing that was so frustrating about that recruitment and in the Terry Bussey recruitment, at least for us, is like Hudson was begging sources at Texas to like offer Terry for like a year before they even invited him to camp, right? Yeah, like begging Hudson standards for those that don't know, man, he's like find you find you somebody that loves something the way Hudson standards loves Terry Bussey. Like we'll hear Hudson talk about Terry Bussey. It's like it's the greatest thing he's ever seen. Like seriously, like it almost like doesn't he like Hudson get like like almost like shake voice when he talks about Terry Bussey. At least he did like when he first started watching him. Like he he was he's a Terry Bussey standing. He's driving that bandwagon. So I digress. But go ahead, Jordan. That's that's how strongly Hudson feels about Terry Bussey. Yeah. So um, the the main reason it was so frustrating is because Hudson been banging on the table asking to offer him. But once they finally offered him, um, and 
it was clear that Texas was falling behind. Multiple times, Hudson is like, hey, like, you know, I know y'all are recruiting them at y'all's own pace, but if y'all want a shot here, like, more people need to get involved because other schools are, you know, doing a lot more. And yeah. nothing changed. With Micah, um, you know, this is a thing a lot of people struggle to believe, but I'm dead serious. Every single on-field position coach staff, there'd be stretches of weeks where they would text him, every single person on field, on staff, would send him a text or talk to him in some form of communication at least once a day. Talking about the tech staff? Yes. Yeah. He From top to bottom, he knows every single coach on field, every single on-field analyst, every single person, the player personnel staff, like yeah. front office, everything. Um, and it's because they made an effort to go all in on him. They're saying we're not going to lose this kid no matter what. And um, his, his deal with Tech is pennies on the dollar, especially compared to, like, what Terry Bussey's getting from A&M. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because NIL was never important to him. Um, you know, I, I'd ask, you know, kind of well, where's your head at with different, I guess, uh, topics or subjects in NIL. And his response is always pretty much along the lines of like, what am I going to do with hundreds of thousands of dollars? You know, I don't need that money. And I would be like, like, hey, I'm not suggesting anything, but like, you know, none of this is guaranteed, man. Like if you blow out your knee, there's a chance you're never the same again. The career's over. You know, you always want to maximize dollars when you can. Never Mm -hmm. saying I'm never advising take the biggest bag. And that's how you make your school choice. Never advise that. Right. At the um, same time, though, Jordan, like I think you you can admit this, a dollar goes a lot further in Lubbock than it does in Austin or Columbus, Ohio, or some other major that, that ma- is, major metro. Yeah, yeah. Too. That 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 is true. That is true. But um, seventeen year old kids don't really think about that. But it, anyways, Tech ended up being like, hey, you know, this is a number for you. What do you think? And they could have done way more. Uh, any school could have done way more. Yeah. And Mike was like, awesome. You know, I'm cool with it because he didn't care. Like, mm-hmm. he always saw the money was it was in the league. And I know how people were like, well, the, the goal was to get to the league. Why wouldn't he pick a school who had a receivers coach who came from the NFL, whereas Texas Tech's receivers coach had only coached running backs at the college level prior uh, to the 2023 season. And it's like, man, like, Micah his whole life has been told he is the number one receiver in the state of Texas, that he's the next Garrett Wilson, like all that. And that was another thing about his recruitment that uh, <laughs> Ohio State kind of screwed up on. They didn't know better. But, like, Micah's, like, one of his least favorite things is how people say uh, him and Garrett Wilson are similar mm-hmm. just because his, his mindset is kind of like, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty good player. Why are you saying I play like someone else? Just say I play like myself. It's kind of extra or whatever, it's, but it's lazy comp too that the Lake Belton uniforms kind of look like Ohio State uniforms a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like he didn't, he didn't like telling, he didn't like being told what he could be. He liked just being able to go out there and show what he could do it yeah. himself. And I, sure. I remember this is kind of crazy that I just remembered this, but I remember he posted on Instagram his Texas visit pictures after the the Junior Day visit. Mm-hmm. And the caption was something like, like, stop telling me what I can be and just let me go be it. Um, 
and Texas didn't know it at the time, but it was because they were like they're on the visit Garrett Wilson clips, and they're like, "Hey, this is how he was used at Ohio State. We think it could be," and that's that's why that happened. Um, gotcha. But I mean, top to bottom, Texas wasn't going to have a chance until they were going to you know really commit to going all in on him um, because that's what Tech was doing, and yeah. that's why every other school struggled to to put a I guess a dent in Tech's lead just because. You know, schools really wanted Micah, mm-hmm. but to get a guy like Micah, you have to put in months of work where there are at least like five people from your staff reaching out to him every day because that's what Tech was doing. You hey, know, at the end of the day, it just sounds like the and this isn't just Texas. This is every other school that went after Micah Hudson. It's almost like nobody took Tech seriously. Like, oh yeah, you said yes, you Tech, and that, that was a, that was another humongous thing with the recruitment. Like, man, the first day I went out to go see Micah. And and I, I wrote about it in the story, but when he told me Tech was his leader and that how much he liked him, like I completely instead of being like, "What's wrong with this kid? Why is the number one receiver and why is he obsessed with Tech?" Instead of thinking like that, since I had talked to him for off the record and got to know him pretty well about thirty to forty five minutes before we started recording, I understood that when he said that, he very much meant it. Yeah. You know? And that this is a very unique kid I was talking to, and just that he was going by the beat of his own drum and was different than other kids. Mm-hmm. So whenever I was calling people on my drive back from Temple to Austin and telling them, because I was kind of one of the first people to go out and see and talk to Micah because he yeah. was only a sophomore then. Um, I was <laughs> we're telling people like, I really think this kid is actually might go to tech and follow through with this. And people is being like, you're crazy. Like no way in hell. And I'm like, you just, you got to spend time around the kid to understand it. Like he, he's just different. And man, there would be like, there'd be time. Like there were crystal balls getting put in for Micah Hudson to Texas. Not by 24 seven, of course. Um, because I was in the network and telling everyone like, Hey, <laughs> not happening. <laughs> um, but there are crystal balls being put in and it was literally just because people saw, okay, this is going to probably be Texas or Texas tech 99 times out of a hundred, you know, UT shoves tech in a locker for that kid. Yeah. But this was, the they one didn't. Time. Yeah. Because, and it's because people hadn't gone out to go spend time around Micah to get to know him, to understand that. And to, to find out that this is a this is a different kid than we're used to dealing with usually, and he thinks differently and acts differently and values different things than other kids do. Um, yeah. So here's here's what jives with your timeline, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we forget this. Texas Tech fired Matt Wells not about not even halfway through the twenty one season. As a matter of fact, it might have yeah. been. The week after, two weeks after, they got boat raced by Texas and Austin. And Joey McGuire gets hired, according to the all-knowledgeable and reliable source that is Wikipedia. The uh, the introductory like The date 21st or 26th, something like that. Was, was November 8th. Oh, so man. you're talking about towards the end of Micah Hudson's regular season as a sophomore. So that's why as a sophomore, it flips. It goes from Baylor to Tech, and it's – it's all about tech at that point. Yeah, and and, and one thing that, that always really upset Micah, especially after he committed, um, was how Texas fans and a lot of other, I guess, fans of other schools 
were always like, oh, he's going to Tech because that's where his dad played. Like, he's a legacy. He grew up wanting to play there. It's like, well, actually, it's not his dad. It's his stepdad. Um, And any time I've ever asked Mike about his stepdad, he made it very clear they don't like each other. (laughs) So. Noted. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Noted. Not that they don't like each other, but that they were not close at all. Right. Like, at all. Yeah. Um, Here's the thing, though, Jordan, in all this. Oh, uh, and again, I, I, everybody should go read the the Micah Hudson yeah. stuff and then everything that's in the Stampede this week. But whether it's Micah Hudson, Terry Bussey, whether it's the kids from Conroe, whoever it is, yeah, the reason why I feel much better about Sart and this staff not winning a recruitment, or maybe if you wish they had a do over, they could do it over or do it differently or whatever. This staff's proven they can develop guys. So for them, I don't think it's – I'm trying – I know what I want to say. I'm trying to figure out how to frame it the right way. It's not that they don't want to get in the, the mix for a Terry Bussey or a Micah Hudson because they're willing to get in the fight. I mean, if you're going after guys like Xavier Filsamy, Colin Simmons, you're going into Florida for Jarrett Gibson. I mean, you're willing to get in the fight for guys. Kel- Kelvin Banks a couple cycles ago. I just think it's, look, if we can put in – you know, is the risk going to be worth the reward to go after this kid? Or can we get a kid that we feel like can be just as good as this guy in two or three years if we develop him the right way? And I feel like because the player personnel department at Texas is so much better than it has, and not that it's been bad. I mean, I've I've said it before, like whoever's been in that director player personnel role, whether it was Patrick Suttis when that role was first created under Mac or Mike Giglio or Derek Chang, all the guys that came before Billy Glasscock, those guys were all really good at their jobs. I, I didn't hear anybody complaining about any either any of those guys and what they did and what they brought to the table. But I think just the the depth of staff now that Sark has and the way that thing just functions like a machine, you're getting guys to the table that I think this staff feels like, you know what? Is he as good as Micah Hudson now? No. Is his ceiling as high as Terry Bussey's? Probably not. But we feel like we can develop this guy, and he's a guy that really wants to be here, so we're going to take him. He's more likely to assimilate and adapt to our culture, and we'll have a really good football player in two or three years. Yeah, and and with Mike, I guess I'll leave the the rest of the, the UT and the tech stuff for, for the store for you to go ahead and read it, but since it, it was such a big section on him specifically, I didn't even talk about what went down with him and the other schools. Um, so I guess I'll do that now just because like they, I mean it's not super important but um, he he did like LSU a little bit early on um, and he actually went out and visited there the summer between his sophomore and junior year mm-hmm. but if y'all remember not this it would have been in the fall of 2022 the old LSU receivers coach who got caught up you remember that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. after that happened LSU wasn't an option for him Gotcha. Um, and they were across from his list. Uh, Oklahoma, this this was never written about. And th- one thing, everyone always talked about how his stepdad played at Tech. No one talked about how his mom was an A&M alum and how his sister was or is a current student at the University of Oklahoma. Um, so OU, uh, he visited a few times early on, and OU is very much going to have a show. Oh, I remember the OU thing. Now, go ahead. I just, it. it it just clicked. So, yeah, right, go ahead. Sorry. And, um, <laughs> well, I mean, so it, it's funny because actually the day I met Micah Hudson, 
I sat next to Kale Gundy for like he was 10 yards away for the majority of the practice because Kale Gundy was at Lake Belton that day to offer Micah Hudson for Oklahoma. Um, and so he had visited a few times. And then, you know, later that year, we know what Kale Gundy did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a he did that. Tough one. And my, Micah didn't really care about that. He always thought Kale Gundy was kind of a weirdo and didn't ever really want to talk to him or play for him. But, um, you know, Oklahoma continued to recruit him without a receivers coach because you got to remember they didn't replace Kale Gundy till like five months later when the season was over because he did the shit with the iPad where he said what he said like in August in fall camp. Um, but in like the months they took forever to hire the receivers coach, Jeff Levy basically became the primary recruiter for Micah and OU, and they were actually kind of making up some ground because um, Micah kind of clicked with Levy, and, you know, he liked him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the offense he wasn't so sure about, but he, he liked the person and liked spending time around him. And, you know, with relationships are always the most important thing for Micah, so that's how schools are going to be able to get their foot in the door is bonding with him, and then you start actually recruiting him. Uh, like with offense and stuff or whatever. But uh, they hired Emmett Jones from Tech. And immediately the whole Oklahoma market thought they were getting Micah Hudson because you got to remember where Emmett Jones was at before Oklahoma. He was at Texas Tech. And he was – I mean, Joey McGuire was always kind of the primary, but Emmett Jones is a big part of recruiting him to Tech. Good dude, by the way. I've known Emmett for over a decade, so good dude. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry then, Jeff, um, because once Emmett got to Oklahoma was when Micah Hudson stopped liking them. Um, and you're probably going to ask, how does that happen if Emmett was kind of his primary at Tech? Uh, and it's because Micah told me once Emmett got to OU, <laughs> he switched up and, like, just changed how he recruited him and the way he talked to him and, like, even the way he texted him, Micah was saying. And he would – <laughs> he had said a, a big part of it. What he thought happened was that Venables brainwashed him like that. That's what I heard out of out of Micah's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> um. And and from that point on, it, it was pretty much, it was pretty much all, or it, it, no more OU. Um, yeah. For Ohio State, Ohio State really, really wanted him. Like really wanted him. Um. I, I obviously, I it, it's in the story, and I wrote about it even before. Um, Monday story, but I actually went up with with Mike Hudson to the Ohio State visit, um, and that was in October 2022. I actually have the the credential, or not not the credential, the the visit lanyard or whatever, right over there. But uh, they played Iowa, beat the shit out of them. Um, that Friday, Lake Belton had played Midlothian, and then we spent the night in Dallas. Flew out of Dallas at like four in the morning, got to Columbus at six, and then did the game at eleven. After the game, went in, uh, back to the facility, toured everything, had some meetings, spent the night in Columbus, and then the next day came back. Um, and that's when they were breaking down all their stuff from the the game prior. And, uh, you know, Mike and everyone else that was there, we got to sit on the team meetings. And uh, me and the, the people that went with Micah, it was obviously him, me, uh, his high school head coach at Lake Belton, um, Coach Cope, and then Coach Cope's wife. And then the Lake Belton wide receivers coach, uh, Coach Bird, and um, we had, we had all flown up there, and I thought it went pretty well. Uh, but 
you know, I've talked to you about this a lot, Jeff. As we were yeah. getting on the plane in Dallas that morning, like something was off with him. Like I could tell something was off. And, uh, you know, are you okay? You know, it's, this is only my second time flying. And I was like, oh, <laughs> he's not going out of state. <laughs> you know, I, I already knew it then pretty Ohio well. But Cross off Ohio State. Then. Yeah, I was just like, oh, okay. So this, is, this isn't a business trip. This is a vacation, I guess. Um, but, yeah, it, it was really cool. And, and in that team meeting, if this shows you how bad they wanted him, they had him sit at the front row. To the left of him is C.J. Stroud. To the right of him is Jackson Smith and Jigbo. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, man, for it probably would have been like two to three weeks from when we got back to Texas after the trip. I got a call from someone on the Ohio State staff once a day asking about him, like, all that. Because they were – they knew they were going to face an uphill battle with Tech, but, like, mm-hmm. they wanted every detail they could possibly have on the kids so that they'd have a better chance of recruiting him. Right. And as that fall went on um, with Micah and his family schedule, it was really hard for him to get to unofficial visits. So Ohio state treated that unofficial visit as like an official visit where it was a weekend long and they showed him around the campus and everything else, because they didn't know if they were actually going to be able to get him back until the summer. Yeah. Um, and so as that, as that fall continued, they continued to recruit him really hard, building bonds with them over the phone. They went down to see him, um once they were able to but ohio state was basically crossed from the list once jeremiah smith committed um okay because ohio state and i saw i mean dude i sat in on the meetings with ryan day and brian hartline i was right there i saw them tell him you are number one priority all this, you are number one receiver, all this. Like, I I saw and heard that with my own eyes and ears. So whatever chance Ohio State had at that point, it was it was done. Once Jeremiah Smith committed, when you're the number one ranked receiver or number one player, he wasn't our number one player. He was, like, number three or number four at that time. Um, Close enough. <laughs> and, you know, school's telling you, you know, you're their number one. It's kind of confusing. Um, yeah. And once that happened, it, it was less – he knew that – he always knew how recruiting worked and, like mm-hmm. – he was amazing at being able to read through like which coaches were just copying, pasting him like text messages. Yeah. Um, and you know, he knew even though Ohio state was saying that he probably wasn't their number one, but it was more the fact that they got this guy who, you know, everyone talks so highly of, they already have these other receivers, you know, Michael wanted to play as a freshman. He wanted to start as a freshman. Yeah. Um, and I think he's good enough to do that at, every school in America outside of Ohio state. Mm -hmm. So that was another thing. And from that point on, they basically dropped. They actually tried to make a late run um, because like once we got into the spring, they knew they weren't going to have a chance and then try to set up an OV. But as we got into into November, (laughs) I actually started getting calls again from Ohio state out of nowhere. And I was like, Oh boy, let's buckle up. (laughs) And um, no, I, uh, they, they were really just circling back. And they thought they had a chance. Like, yeah, you know, he's picking up the phone. We've been talking to him the last few days. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, look, dude, like he's he's going to tech. Like he's actually moving in like a week and a half before signing day because he's doing bowl practices. Like he's going to tech. Right. <laughs> um, um, no, and, and they backed off. Yeah, but, we're sitting here talking about Ohio State, man. I keep going back to J.K. Dobbins. And Ohio State got a couple of guys in that cycle, Baron Browning, uh, Jeff Okuda. Man. Yeah. Charlie Strong staff, and I, I think about like 
I've mentioned this before, and I'll, I'll write this up at some point because uh, I've still got some, you know, I've still got some stuff to to get out from the Super Bowl on the on the side. I've talked about it plenty here, but man, you go back to the 2015 class, and that was Charlie Strong's first full cycle. Like they offered Charles Amenahu really early. You know, PJ Locke was a guy that they really liked. You know, Holton Hill, Chris Boyd, obviously Malik Jefferson was their guy the whole way. Um, but man, Deshaun Elliott was a guy that they offered really early. It's like, well, what do we do with him? They're like, I don't know. We were just really like him. Man, they they made some really good evaluations on defense. I mean, Brecken Hager was a guy that, that was committed to Baylor, and they just like, well, I, again, was he a linebacker? Is he an end? I don't know. We just want him on our team. They did a really good job with defensive evaluations and even recruiting guys on defense. That it amazes me how equally bad they were evaluating guys and recruiting guys on offense. With with a few exceptions, with a few exceptions, they were, man, it was a it was kind of a dumpster fire under Charlie. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like who are some guys that I can remember in 24 that they were like the first offer or, or one of them. I, you know what? I'll I've said this before, and and I, we'll wrap it up with some positive Texas talk again. This isn't a dump on the staff. It's just it's always fun to hear about these things because three or four years down the road, it, it might matter, it might not. But like I give the Tom Herman staff a lot of credit because they were Jonathan Brooks' first like big time offer. They were his only big time offer. Yeah, Jonathan Brooks had like Texas State, Rice, and somebody else. I don't even. Remember. I think like Baylor and Tech were like his only two other Power Five. Yeah, maybe Texas, TCU. Texas offered him early, and that that was a hell of an evaluation. Uh, and then Herman staff had some good. I mean they they made a call really early on Tavondre Sweat, and I mean Tavondre Sweat had one of those Alabama offers, where it's like, yeah, come to camp in the summer, and then we'll decide if we still want to recruit you after that. Uh, but I mean, I don't remember AM being really involved with Tavondre. I don't remember any any kind of regional P5s being involved with Sweat. So that was a really good eval on their part. Uh, they did the kind of the same thing with Byron Murphy. Like Byron was he committed to Baylor? I think it just back was to the Baylor. He, no, I think uh, Mike is the one to ask because he covered it. I just remember reading about it, but. I think what had happened was uh, Texas offered him when he was still committed to Baylor, like two weeks yeah. before, and like he flipped the next day or something like that. Yeah. So they, the Herman staff made some really good evaluations, and I think the Sark staff too. They they've made you know some good evaluations. I think the the floor for the Sark recruits is higher than the floor was for some of the Herman recruits. But uh, again, that's what you can miss on some of these guys. If you trust yourself and you've got a proven track record of evaluating guys, the, the misses will be, you'll, you'll be able to cushion the blow. If not, it'll be, you know, kind of what, I mean, look, would, would Texas have loved to have a team with Adrian Peterson on it? hundred percent. Check that guy six days a week and twice on Sunday, but you know what? Jamal Charles wasn't a bad consolation prize. Mm-mm. So and I don't I don't know if you could speak about it um because when my when my dad would talk about because my my dad was a long time orange blood subscriber yeah um but my dad would always talk about how AP was a year older than Jamal and mm-hmm. whenever AP chose Oklahoma next year it came time for Jamal Charles to uh, select Texas or whatever 
my dad had said after he picked Texas, he he gave a quote that was something along the lines of like, I'm going to make everyone forget that Adrian Peterson didn't choose or chose Oklahoma yeah, or didn't something, choose to, or some something shit like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But the one the one quote that got more a lot more run was Adrian Peterson saying he wanted to go to a place where he had a chance to win a national championship. And I, man, I know Adrian Peterson at the I think it was the Texas Sports Hall of Fame where he said Mac Brown was the only coach that wouldn't guarantee him a chance to start or whatever i'd always heard the story and based on who told me this i tend to believe this version of the story adrian peterson was visiting he was getting ready to decide and he was you know texas was in that mix oklahoma was in that mix and i again based on who told me i I believe this story he had visited his dad in jail and they swapped pieces of paper it's like where are you going to go and they wrote down where where Adrian's dad wrote down where he thought Adrian should go. Adrian wrote down where he wanted to go. They swap pieces of paper. Adrian opens it up and his dad wrote down Oklahoma. His dad opens up the piece of paper and it says, wherever you want me to go. And that was what put Oklahoma over the, over the top. Is your source a CO in the fucking <laughs> like East Texas penitentiary? No, what no, no. Damn! No, I damn again. Based on who told me that story, I it's it's one of those deals where like the person that tells you doesn't have any skin in the game, you know, like it's it's whatever. But uh, that sounds plausible to me. Again, it's the Adrian Peterson recruiting stories. It's like fishing stories now. It's like it, it's happened. It's, it's been twenty years, man. Like everybody's it's got like, their own spin on how it happened. We in, we investigate further and find out that. uh AP's father, Sally, was actually a uh, <laughs> Oklahoma fan and found out uh, his Sally's yeah. son is the number one running back in the country. Dude. And it's like, hey, here's a, hey, here, here's some ramen. Bring him home. <laughs> when I was, I was in high school when I started following recruiting. And I'm not ashamed to admit it, man. Like, there was – I mean, it was, it was Orange Bloods or, like, you know, every now and then you get, like, Jerry Scarborough's newsletter or maybe you're calling the Statesman hotline or whatever – it was pretty hard. I think maybe Horns fans was a thing at that point, but it, it wasn't like today where you can, you know, just find Texas recruiting news. You guys, I mean, you can you guys, you guys can hit up Jordan on Twitter or Instagram if you want Texas recruiting news. I advise I'm not, you not responding. Probably, uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna respond if you just there. come in my DMs. Yeah, that's like my I'm wife doing. got a call at work. I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. I, I hand on a stack of Bibles. I'm telling the truth with the story my wife gets a call at work and then calls me and usually if my wife calls me during the day it's either i she needs me to run an errand or it's something changes where i've got to go pick up my daughter basically it's important if my wife's calling me during the day yeah but she calls me this is like one two in the afternoon i answer the phone she's like hey i got a call from i won't say the parent's name in case somebody's watching it's like i just got a call from so-and-so is arch manning transferring from texas i'm like no and it's okay if you tell people to stop calling you at work to ask me what's going on at texas yeah perfectly fine if you want to make that decision if you want to make that call yeah um, yeah. yeah so but i, I digress <laughs> but no, I, get, I get the same type of stuff dude at family get-togethers you know the the whole fam is fans of the longhorn so it's yeah. like jordan what do you think about and it's like dude like look 
my job is to kind of give my opinion on stuff. Like eventually I get tired of giving my opinion and just repeating myself. Eat like, my brisket sandwich or whatever. Exactly. Like I, I just want to watch the game, man. You know, I've been writing about this shit all week. I just want to sit here and watch it and not talk about it. Let me eat my green bean casserole in peace or whatever it is. I don't know what you eat at family gatherings, but uh, no, where I was going with that was, uh, you know, I was I was kind of I would I would have, you know, a friend would have maybe some orange blood access or something. But if recruiting was covered then like it is now, dude, how Vince Young's wild ass list of finalists, man, like that would have been it? unbelievable. I, I it was Texas, Arkansas, because Arkansas kind of ran would run a similar like offense just kind of let him run around and do whatever because uh, they had Matt Jones at the time. Uh, Miami was Miami was just beating everybody down back then, and Southern Miss, Southern Miss was one of Vince Young's finalists. Oh yeah, I remember. Why was Southern Miss in there? Because he loved Brett Favre and Steve McNair. Oh yeah, yeah. Steve McNair was Alcorn State guy, but. He's from yeah. that part of the state, and Vince Young looked up to Steve McNair, and Brett Favre was a Southern Miss guy, so Southern Miss was one of his finalists. Like, can you imagine that? Like, if recruiting was covered again today, back then, like it is today, like, dude, they'd be like, well, "What is wrong with this kid? Why is he like?" You mentioned the Micah Hudson thing with Tech. People be like, "What is wrong with this kid? Why is he considering Southern Miss? Why does he want to go play quarterback at Arkansas yeah. when he can go at all these other places?" Yeah, that's a wild ass list of finalists Vincent Paul Young Jr. had. Hey, real quick before Trey and BK jump on. Mm-hmm. A couple of recruitments, and we can get more into this tomorrow. <clears throat> a couple of the recruitments that I think the staff, the persistence paid off. Xavier Filsamy, for sure. Like, yeah, the fact that Tashard Choice went into Florida and just basically stole, just poached Jarrett Gibson and kind of told all the Florida schools, hey, I'm going to take this guy and you're going to like it. Kind of deal like Texas. And the, the craziest shit about Jarrett Gibson's thing is like, Dude, since what would have been like September, August, October-ish of 2022, mm-hmm. we have been very, very confident he was going to end up at Texas. You know, Now, he didn't give a silent commitment. Uh, I don't think he ever gave one. I think he literally just <laughs> live-streamed himself committing mm-hmm. to the staff, and that's, that's what happened. <laughs> um, but, like – Dude, in that fall, it'd be like, you know, I'm talking to Hudson. I was still covering Baylor at the time. You know, who are some guys? And it's like, oh, they're getting Jared Gibson. And that was in like August or October. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like that, that's how early that lead was because of Tashar Choice. And it was because with uh, with Baxter, Baxter was a lot harder of a recruitment. Mm-hmm. And whenever he was going to see Baxter, because he'd have to go to Orlando all the time to go see him. He would drive down to IMG and he'd go see Jared Gibson and sometimes he'd uh, go see him and his dad. And he just got super close to them because he kept having to go out to Florida to keep CJ Baxter from going to Florida State. Yeah. So he went out to Florida like a dozen times in like a year alone. And each time he did it, he just kept going to see Jared. Jared Gibson, every every cycle, there's somebody that fits the the mold. Like there's always like, you know, back in the day, people just say like, if if you have a boy band, right? Like if you got five, you always have to have like the tough guy, the sensitive guy, whatever. Go look at every Texas recruiting class and you'll find the guy like there's always the guy like Trey Owens, right? He's the first guy to commit. He never wavers. He recruits for you the whole way. Just he, he is as solid as a rock. 
There's always the guy like Jarrett Gibson where it's like, okay, can you hang on to him? And nobody realizes the whole time, dude, he never wavered. He was locked in the entire time. Like you didn't really have to sweat. It's like, hey, man, we never really had to sweat that when you thought it was really going to be a fight. Uh, There's always going to be the guy like Kobe Black that's committed silently way longer than he actually is publicly committed. Like how how long was Kobe Black going to Texas before he committed? It was months. Okay, so he FaceTimed the staff what would have been like August 9th or 10th. It was something like that. Yeah. Um, but he FaceTimed the staff when they're in the middle of a fall camp practice and silently committed over the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the plan after there, – there was never an actual plan, but the vibe at the time was that it, he would be public or he would go public with a decision by the end of the month, <laughs> the end of the month of August, which right. we all knew was horseshit. Like <laughs> – Hank and I were just like, oh, yeah, it sounds good. Like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yes, some people – I put in my crystal ball for him when he was on his official visit. Um, I had some people tell me he, he gave a silent, but uh, the person I trust more than anyone else told me it, it happened in August. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I, I don't know when it was that they, I guess, became like the official official leader. Um, but I do remember covering the 2023 January junior day and, um, you know, I don't know, as kids were walking in, uh, you know, we grabbed photos of them. I'm next to Hudson and I was kind of just asking him, you know, where do you think Texas at with this kid or with this kid? And when Kobe was walking in, you know, it was like, Hey, you know, at the time Kobe's our number 16 player in the country. He was the highest rated player uh, coming to Texas that day. I was like, Oh shit. It's, he actually showed up. Um, you know, what do you think that means in Texas? Where do you think they're at? And he's like, look, Texas thinks it's their recruitment to lose. Um, they think they're getting them. They have a lot of quiet confidence, and they've actually asked us to not crystal ball them. Um, and talking with Hudson, you know, because I called him a few times. While I was riding the behind the scenes to, you know, to kind of just get a refresher. And he had told me that uh, Texas really, really, really started to feel confident that they were going to get Kobe Black. Um, on signing day in 2022 once they got Wisner and, and Jelani. Um, they, they knew just because Jelani McDonald and Trey Wisner were like best friends with Kobe Talking Black. About in, in that December, that December 2022 window? Yeah, they, they knew when those guys signed that they they felt really strongly that they were going to get Kobe Black. And then it was almost a year later when Kobe Black went public with his commitment. That's how – see, I'm telling you, there's always one guy like that. And then as Trey and BK join us, we'll see if in 2025 there's a guy that follows the – the Peyton Kirkland, Aaron Butler route where you commit without ever visiting the school. Well, shit. Ethan Burke never visited the school as a Texas I think we can visitor. agree that's different, though. You're talking about a kid from Florida and a kid from California. We're not talking about a kid from Westlake Hills. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I know. But he never did. He never saw the facility and all that till after he had signed. There's always, you know, there's always a deal like, uh, like the Colton Vosick recruitment, like as much as like people in the OU market were like, oh man, he's not, he's not flipping. He's not flipping. And I'm like, yeah, he's here visiting. Like, oh yeah. He's just there. His dad got tickets. I'm like, no, I'm looking at him right now. Like he's here on a recruiting visit. Like this ain't just, he's with his family. Like he's hanging out with, I think Arch was there that weekend. Like, yeah, he's, this isn't just right. Colton Vosick wants to go to the game. He's hanging out with Arch. Like, yeah, I remember um, Hudson was actually one of the first people to write that uh, Bostic was there that day. 
because I saw on <laughs> Vasek's Snapchat story <laughs> that he was there and called Hudson. And that's also, uh, he showed up to a midweek practice uh, or an a, a in-season practice during like the, the end of his senior season. It was right before he was about to flip to Texas, literally the week mm-hmm. before. This was the nail in the coffin for him flipping to Texas was UT got him to come in at like 6 a.m. to watch a practice on like a, a Wednesday. And yeah. he stayed for like two to three hours and then went to school at Westlake like 10 minutes up the road. Um, while he was there at the practice was when he told Texas that he was coming. And no one had known he was there at the practice except for us because I saw on a Snapchat story that he posted he was there. Um, and I had told Hudson and Mike, and before they reported, they called Texas like, hey, uh, we know y'all are trying to keep this under wraps, but we still found out. What do you think? And Texas like – we don't know. Like he, he did tell us he was coming, but he's been really skittish. You want to be careful, hold on to it, and that's what they did. Depending on what time he left, I want to know what time he left and got to class. Because if you think you're making it from campus oh, yeah. to Westlake High School in ten minutes, that ain't happening. Not, not to, I didn't mean ten minutes, but more like you know, it's up the road. Hey, real quick, uh, Trey, when you started following recruiting, was it? Were you still trying to get like I, I talked about it a little bit ago, like? Maybe every now and then you get a look at like a Jerry Scarborough newsletter or you're calling like the Statesman hotline or something. I, I remember vaguely being on like Horns fans or like the old Austin 360 message boards. When you started following recruiting, do you remember how how you started, what medium you went through to, to get your info? I feel like it had to have been because this was when the Internet was still a- – not really a figment of our imagination, but it was barely anything primitive in mid to late 1990s. I think it was almost exclusively Dallas morning news. That morning paper is how I was finding out about things. Like I think that no, the Chris Sims recruitment would have been after I was in school, but no, the Dallas morning news was, uh, was crucial early on in my uh, upbringing in the DFW area. And then at a certain point it did shift to the internet but golly, I think I was analog for a long time with that too. I like, I feel like I was more checking in with the Austin American Statesman whenever I would hear about yeah. something big happening recruiting wise. I was in high school. I remember when Cedric Benson committed, I didn't find out until the next day when I read it in a Statesman. Yeah, that's, it's so hard to think back to that now because we have so much information just at our disposal at all times, right? It's uh, yeah. a lot of ways information overload, but you you really did have to be patient and wait, and uh, you were caught by surprise. Surprise yeah. actually existed back then. That's why when somebody catches everyone off guard or by surprise with uh, something that they've known for a little while now, you got to give a tip of the cap to them and say, mm-hmm. wow, way to keep that so close to the vest that nobody either nobody in your inner circle knew about it. You actually have a trustworthy inner circle because they didn't let anybody else know about it. But to what you guys were just talking about too, Y'all are great about getting information and understanding a sort of unwritten rule or courtesy with regards to letting that information go. So it's something that the general public knows nothing about. And you guys have shown the common decency to not spoil it or ruin it for that person who wants to be able to surprise everybody else themselves. Yeah. And at the same time, it's, it's about, you know, respecting sources and, you know, doing, doing P you know, doing right by folks that have done right by you and things like that. So it's, so uh, BK, were you, uh, were you exclusively a website guy when you started following recruiting by that? Yeah. Point? I get most of my adult films on websites and that's always <laughs> been the case. Thank you for asking. Uh, yeah. Look, my guy, yeah, Mike Gundy once told me something very, very important when I was younger. That's why I don't read the newspaper. 
because it's garbage. So I didn't look at the garbage newspaper. I've been an online guy since uh, the beginning of my recruiting fandom. Damn. I was actually a newspaper guy originally, believe it or not, because uh, my my dad is old school. We had a paper come to the house. You're probably like, what? That doesn't happen anymore, Um, (laughs) at least in their neighborhood. But uh, I would read the Austin American Statesman every morning, the sports section. And for a lot of time when I was growing up, uh, Mike Craven covering recruiting. Um, I didn't even know what the hell 24-7 sports was or rivals when I was eight. I just wanted to know, you know, is Texas going to get, I don't know, this 6'5 receiver named Colin Johnson or however old I was, you know. Yeah. Real, real quick. So that's uh, how I fell in love with it was the the statesman. BK, I'm guessing the first recruitment you followed wasn't Colin Johnson? Uh, no. Well, that made me feel really old. Thanks for that, Jordan. <laughs> No, but who? What really? Real quick before I bump off, BK, what was the first recruitment you remember? Like that, this is, this is cool, and I I need to follow this. God, I I don't. I mean, I can't say Jonathan Gray. I remember that recruitment being a big deal, and that was like when I was in high school. I just remember following that one closely because you know he was a five star and the top running back in the country and one of the top players in the country. Yeah, I don't know why that's the first thing that pops into my mind when you ask me that question. But there's got to be one or two before yeah. that, that that had me captivated as a kid, but I don't remember. Trey? I, I think Ricky was the big one for me. Yeah. What was that, 93 or 94? Like, learning about yeah. Ricky, like this out-of-state kid who had these little Earl qualities, and he was a baseball player also. I was mm-hmm. juiced for that one. And all these years later, he blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> mine, was, uh, mine was Chris Sims, but the first one that really had me, like, hooked was uh, – Vincent Paul Young Jr. Yeah, I told, I told Jordan, I'm like, dude, if recruiting was covered back then, like it is now, and like you saw Vince Young's list of finalists, you'd see Arkansas and Southern Mitch. Like, dude, what is wrong with this kid? Like, why does he want to go to these wheels off schools? But uh, he knew it, it worked out for him and worked out for Texas. He oh, knew if he oh, went to Southern Miss, he'd be able to steal from the poor and give to the rich, like Brett Favre. So that was probably allegedly, allegedly. Sorry, what, allegedly. what was that list about for him? Uh, the Southern Miss thing was Steve McNair was from that part of Mississippi and Brett Favre went to Southern Miss. So Southern Miss was on there. Miami was one of his finalists. Uh, and Arkansas was the other one because they kind of had a, a wheels off offense. Well, they had like Matt Jones at quarterback and guys like that, that would kind of run around and ad lib and do things like that. So, gotcha. um, yeah. Hey, by the way, did you know BK from old wrestling fame that Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man, was caught up in some of those uh fraud schemes in Mississippi that allegedly Brett Favre was also involved in? Did not 